0: to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Adam, for getting together with me. Yeah, no problem. And as I was here waiting for my coffee for just a few minutes, we were talking a little bit, and mm-hmm. you were mentioning that, um, well, let's... I was going to bring up dispensationalism, but let's just kind of start back at the beginning like with an introduction or, you know, I met you at Rockport, um, my church, you were visiting there and, um, well, you know, just tell a little bit about yourself, you know, what are, who is Adam or how would you describe yourself?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I grew up in Southeast Missouri, uh, the Bontaire area. St. Francis County, hmm. and uh, raised in well, my mom and my mom and real dad uh, they had divorced early, like like when I was two, and so my mom met my stepdad not long after that, and then uh, they had my brother, and grew up pretty normal childhood. Um, And then we, uh, as far as church and things like that go, uh, my stepdad was Roman Catholic and my mom Southern Baptist. So naturally neither one of them liked to go to each other's churches. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was kind of off and on in both. And, um, I was actually baptized in Roman Catholic church at like eight years old. Oh really? It was sort of my step grandma's last wishes that she would like to see her grandkids get baptized. So that happened. Of course, it was at the time, you know, I wasn't really a uh, I don't know if I was a believer or not cuz I was 8 years old. I didn't really, didn't really know anything. Mm-hmm. And so uh you know, as the years go on um just normal teenage stuff, you know, hanging out with friends, playing games, you know. Hanging out with my brother, you know, just normal kid stuff, all the way through high school, and then, uh, then after high school, uh, is when I came to faith. And uh, it's funny the way it happened. Is my cousin? She was attending a, uh, a Church of God, which is like a Pentecostal background, you know. And I was, she invited me there, and it was very different from what anything I was used to, either going to a normal Baptist church or going to mass, you know? And uh, I, I ended up staying there because it was very different to me. And I it's just a matter of God's providence and keeping me there long enough to actually hear the gospel for the first time, um, which happened at a, it was at a youth event. I was like 19, I think. I'm 31 now. When I was like 19, we went to this youth event, and uh, I don't even remember what the guy's name was. It was this special guest preacher, but he actually articulated the gospel clearly to me, and like the Holy Spirit just changed me right there, brought me to repentance, and there we are.
0: <laughs> so, um, but you were... Pretty active in the Catholic Church for a not few years not point. even
1: really that active we we were we were Easter and Christmas okay yeah for sure maybe the occasional mass uh, on rare occasions but so uh, um, you said that you know
0: you, first hearing the gospel mm-hmm. like so you knew about Jesus dying though, oh, yeah. Right? And, yeah and the resurrection yeah so what did you think about that, or did you think about it? Did it have any significance at all to you
1: or beforehand? Yeah, it did like I understood it, but it never it never quite clicked, I guess maybe I was just too young to even okay I feel like maybe I was just too young to even understand it. So you understood it, and it wasn't really like it was wasn't really discussed at home that much. like occasionally my mom would read us like a storybook bible or something when we were younger but it wasn't um it just really wasn't like it wasn't discussed at, in our home that much D- was the concept of like jesus dying for sins understood by you at
0: all like that it was yes. for
1: okay yeah yeah i understood that but i didn't know why and it didn't it didn't resonate like it just didn't click okay me.
0: So when you heard the gospel, it's like it wasn't totally foreign to you. It's just that that's when it clicked and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. It was.
1: It might have been in the way that um, the the person preaching at the time articulated it okay. in a manner that was uh, clear and and I understood it for the first time. I guess I see. So okay. And then after that. Uh, a couple years down the road, I uh, slowly, I, I, I had left that church and then I had went to, uh, I started attending a church that uh, some other friends were attending from some friends from school and uh, it was also a little charismatic and almost, almost more so word of faithy, but at the time I didn't know any, I didn't even know what was what I, I didn't understand theology really at that point i thought a church was a church and that was it and there there was different flavors but um so there's some there were some things that happened there um that weren't good um, as far as like in the uh with the youth and like some of the leaders and there's some things being stuffed under the rug and, uh, very, very antithetical to, to the gospel that I didn't like. And my friends saw it as well. And, uh, so we left there and they knew somebody at another church, um, that they, uh, they, 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 because my friends were musicians, so they uh, they liked this other church more that was actually preaching the gospel and actually not spewing heretical garbage. <laughs> not No workspace salvation or, or, or any uh, um, prosperity preaching or anything like that. So we ended up going there, and there was the first time I was introduced to the Doctrines of Grace and Reformed Theology and Calvinism, and, and uh, my, my gateway drug to Calvinism, I say, is John Piper, so that was, that, he was my introduction to, that just kind of blew the doors open for me, and the pastor there, he's, he's really great, um, he, he was preaching expositionally, which I had never seen before, you know, word for word, or word by word through the text, and I had never, I had never seen that before, and it was just opening up the scriptures to me in a way that I'd never seen it before. And naturally, that followed with church history, you know, digging into church history and you know the Reformation, and it, it was eye-opening.
0: Speaking of church history. Have you read the Apostolic Fathers?
1: I have read St. Augustine's uh, Confessions. I have started his uh, City of God. I have read Athanasius on the Incarnation, and uh, bits and pieces of, of some of the other ones. But okay. So I don't Basil, know if, and, yeah, I'm not sure know. if they'd be considered
0: Apostolic Fathers. I don't think so. They, I don't know what yeah, they'd be considered. The Church Fathers. You know, okay.
1: Yeah. Maybe not the Apostolic Fathers, but...
0: Yeah, I'm kind of talking about second century writings like yeah, Polycarp Col- or. Polycarp, yeah, yeah, Clement. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, can't think of the other names.
1: Yeah. Um, Gregory Nys- Nyssa, am I? he might be after. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, have you read much of that earlier, you know, second century writing? A little bit. Okay. Um, not much. Just online, stuff online. Okay. Yeah, bits and Pieces online. We can almost say just read quotes. <laughs> okay. Quotes from their writings, but uh, right. But as far as the other ones go, I've read those. Okay. Yeah. Well.
0: So, when it comes to like, right now, what would you say your life is all about, or the passion of your life, and so forth? Um.
1: I. Just. Being a husband. And preparing to become a father—that's mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's been my main focus for the past nine months, <laughs> and and past year really since we got married. Okay, but uh, yeah, it's been good, and uh, that's that's mainly it. I you know I mentioned writing earlier before we started.
0: Yeah,
1: I've started a couple different novels. um working on my career path which in IT. I work in IT. Mm-hmm. Um, I work for a healthcare provider. We do data and analytics. And uh, I've been studying uh, web development and back end development, and the whole shebang of languages, mm-hmm. uh, programming languages, JavaScript, uh, mm-hmm. PHP, Go. But that's, that's for my career development but the other side I, I really like writing <laughs> that's one of my favorite things in reading yeah. yeah what do you read uh, I usually try to have two books going at the same time one one book I'll be reading uh, a theology Facebook mm-hmm. um, something in theology right now I am reading uh, Kierkegaard's uh, spiritual writings so I guess it's more philosophy but There's some theology on there. Hmm. Uh, I just started that like two days ago. And then on the other end, I usually have some work of fiction going. Uh, Usually fantasy or science fiction. That's where I'm... That's my main focus with uh, fiction. Okay. Uh, So I'm reading uh, Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. Hmm. That's really good. Have you read uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Till We Have Faces? I have not read Till We Have Faces. Okay. I've read, uh... I've read Mirror Christianity, of course. Yeah. I've read uh, his Reflections on the Psalm. Yeah. My wife re- read his uh, Space Trilogy. Oh, but, yeah. 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 That's on my list. She's read all three of them. Yeah. 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 Um...
0: So, um... You know, okay, now to dispensationalism. So did you, um, was that kind of what you were introduced to as you were introduced to Christianity and kind of um, did that that transition away from that come about, you know, about the same time you were transitioning or learning about Calvinism and so forth?
1: Yeah. So at the time, I probably didn't even know it. I probably believed in dispensationalism without knowing the term. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, my grandparents on my, um, at least on my mom's side, uh, they're, I think they're pretty, still pretty dispensational. So I think that's kind of the framework in which her side grew up. Uh, the Roman Catholic side, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly the eschatology of all Roman Catholics. I think they're kind of varied, Hmm. but, um. It might be similar, but I I don't really—I'm not really sure uh, (laughs) about Roman Catholic eschatology. Uh, But as far as, like, the traditional Baptist dispensational, I was familiar with that kind of framework, you know, the the Antichrist, the the Hal Lindsey, you know, left behind stuff Mm -hmm. that most people take as— the you know the left behind story is how most people view it, uh, end times, and dispensationalism. But with the exception of John MacArthur, he's, he's he even calls himself a leaky dispensationalist. So he's not even firm on being a dispensationalist. But, uh, but yeah, I would say I'd probably in that mind frame. And then after uh, after I discovered reform theology and started learning about covenantalism and the working, how the covenant works and that that really kind of opened my eyes to a different view of the end times you know, it's like, oh you know, you mean there's really not a, a quote unquote uh, mark of the beast that you get tattooed on your hand <laughs> you know, it's this kind of movie version of of uh end times that really i just i don't think scripture teaches and that's why i think it's kind of dangerous especially especially uh like the left behind view of uh dispensationalism that's been i think it's kind of uh skewed the end times a little bit so um well, what are your views now as far as eschatology goes? Or I think I'm covenantal. Um, as far as, like, post-mill, A-mill, pre-mill, I would probably just be A-mill. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm reading, uh, I have a commentary by G.K. Beale on, on the book of Revelation. And uh, he's got some interesting things in there. Um, so I think cause it. I think he's... Uh, I believe he's A-mil. I could be wrong. I think he said what he was in the book, but I can't remember. <laughs> um, but it had a description of each view in the book, and I was like, I think I'm pretty much A-mil, the way it was described, because it was like... You know, pre mill is usually... Things get worse before they get better. Post-mil is things are just going to keep getting better for Christians and then Mills, sort of like in the middle of there's always going to be good and bad throughout human history until Christ arrives and comes back again so that's that's kind of where I'm pulling in
0: you know from your reading or from just your own thinking have you given much thought about just the return of Christ just what that means and what that looks like like um for example, um, in Acts, you know, when the account is given of, of Jesus' ascension, mm-hmm. um, there's, you know, it's given to us in like a physical, graphic way of him, you know, ascending up into the clouds and to the two angels there, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I got this from NT Wright or or who, but um, of just the idea of jesus ascending and being in heaven is more than him just changing places geographically mm-hmm. but like that gives him like a spiritual reign so to speak now you yeah. he's this from heaven from the spiritual realm you know the affairs of earth are controlled you know and he reigns yeah. over them so from from that sense um there's more than just a physical depiction, like it's important for Jesus to be in the spiritual realm, you know, right. where he is reigning over all of earth. Um, but, you know, it's given to us in like a, just a real physical way. And, and mm-hmm. also it's said there that as you see him go, that's how he'll return. Yeah. But for me, that's hard to imagine. Um, like now... Um, uh, you know, God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ mm-hmm. indwelling in us and uh, among us as God's people. And then, um, you know, like a, a coming, a physical coming, like, and then from up in the sky um, to, like, one particular place on planet Earth. I mean, it's just hard to, you know, yeah. kind of wrap the mind around. For sure. Um, I I heard Norm Wakefield. Are you familiar with him at all? I don't think so. Okay, and um, he has a different view of it. Like I, I was just at a, He's like a homeschool speaker, and he's a mm-hmm. teacher and stuff. And and he um, he was he kind of described that like Jesus traveling through space and approaching. You know, and mm-hmm. then he um, and then he contrasted that with like. Um, an appearing of Christ where just somehow suddenly our eyes are open and we see he's here and he's just all around us or something like that. So yeah. um, I don't have any, like, strong opinions on any of this. It's just confusing to me. Like, the return of Christ just what's it going to be
1: like? Sure,
0: yeah. You know, do you have any thoughts about it? Yeah.
1: Like, you know, dispensationalists get the rap of being... Well, we've talked about Taking everything in Revelation seriously, like and at face value for what it is, and even though I'm not a dispensationalist, I also think that some of those things are not metaphorical. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I would say the a reform view of or a covenantal view of of eschatology tends to be, and they could be right, but it's usually a little bit dry. (laughs) It's like. I don't. I don't know. They they take all of the fantastical elements out of out of end times, but I'm not sure why. I mean, obviously there is some there is some uh, metaphorical imagery in Revelation all the way through it, but also some of that could actually happen. Mm-hmm. Like it's we're dealing with uh, you know the supernatural, you know. We, we, you know, as Christians, we believe in the supernatural. So, there's right. nothing out of the realm of possibility when it comes to right, the end times and what's going to happen. So, a, a think, literal
0: a literal resurrection is going to be fantastically <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You can't get around that.
1: Right, right. So, it's just it's just the finding the a good middle ground of what what is this metaphor and what is actually going to happen and what you're actually going to see. Right, you know that's what that's what's confusing is like, you know, but then again, you know, dispensationalists say that the locusts are actually Apache black helicopters. <laughs> you know, it's just just crazy stuff like that. It's, you know, I, you know, when it says locusts, I'm gonna say it's locusts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know,
0: you, we're just in like a, a real small segment of time so our mm-hmm. uh, perspective is kind of you know, from that viewpoint but like those um, you know, looking forward to a, coming of the Messiah mm-hmm. I mean, they were waiting for a, a long, long time and they were yeah. just in that little viewpoint and then when um, Jesus came I mean, it was just totally unexpected Yeah. And um, and then You know, and in in some ways, just really, just a natural, just like the flow of history type of thing, like a baby being born, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and then growing up and um, then being crucified. But then in the spiritual realm, you know, huge, momentous things are happening, you know. So, I don't know what it would be like, but...
1: being just in one little part of time reminds me of uh, I see a lot of uh, in a dispensational view it tends to lean towards there's like some big part America is gonna play and it's usually very America centric yeah I see that a lot right and like that's another thing that turns me away from like you can't like everything everything you say is like all about America repenting and you know trying pulling verses out of context to try to make it look like it's talking about America and it's like this is not just America this is like the entire earth you know and it I don't know it, it's a little frustrating but you know yeah. it's it's just you know it's just I guess it's that's uh I would say that probably started in the early 1900s. Um, when dispensation or late 1800s, early 1900s, when dispensationalism was really taking off, yeah. that view because it's not it's not an old view; it's fairly fairly young. Dispensationalism in general, you yeah, mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think getting back to something older would be more accurate and more of a historic uh, view of things. Um,
0: you know, you, when I first met you, you were, you, I mentioned Alvin Plantinga and you were familiar with him. Yeah. So, um, so he's a ph- philosopher and mm-hmm.
1: have you read any of his books or? I, I haven't read any of his books. I watched a, uh, it was, it's been a couple of years now, so I can't quite remember what it was about, but I did watch a, uh, he had a seminar or something. It okay. was on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because he was mentioned by somebody else, and uh or I might have just found him in in uh, reading about somebody else in Wikipedia that was related to or that had something to do with Alvin Plantigo. so I looked him up, but uh I'm not super super familiar with him, but I know who he is, and i've i watched a, a a seminar by him, yeah, yeah. He's, I liked. I liked what I heard. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. He kind of caught my interest for a while, um, mm. because he he's like a pretty major figure in the field of philosophy. Yeah. And from what I understand, kind of took um, religious belief from previously on uh, not being regarded as like a rational type of thing. Yeah. To bringing it to the point where it is in that field considered like mm-hmm. a, a rational type yeah. of belief
1: yeah um I'm trying to think of somebody that was like him that I did listen to that I don't really listen to anymore uh what's his name uh oh, I can't remember his name just completely slipped my mind um
0: uh, it'll come back to me. <laughs> okay. You don't listen yeah. to Jordan Peterson, do you?
1: I, I have listened to Jordan Peterson. Okay. Um, he's got some interesting thoughts. I Especially like when he first got big, I, I listened to quite a bit of him. One of my friends read his book, The Twelve Rules. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's... I don't think he's a believer, of course, but he, I think he's got some good practical advice. Yeah on just daily life and living. Right. You know. Yeah. Which I found interesting that so many people, you know, especially guys like my age or or a little bit younger latched onto him because they're being given this practical advice for men that they might have not have been hearing in their you know, e- evangelifish churches or something, you know. Yeah. Something that they should have been hearing from their pastor, right, or other men and in their or other lives. men in their life, yeah. Well, so you're
0: in a framework of belief mm-hmm. with, you know, which includes that there is a God beyond, mm-hmm. you know, just this natural world, and also, even more particularly, you know, narrowing it down that Jesus died, and that he. Re- re- rose from the dead there's a resurrection Mm -hmm. and that that has significance for us yeah so what gives you confidence um that you are that your beliefs are um are true and um that it's not just you know you you just haven't bought into something and um that really someone else has the right worldview and so forth
1: uh I th- I think that scripture just affirms itself. It affirms itself? Yeah. Okay. Kind of which is sort of the uh the uh precept view. Uh-huh. But then also uh just uh even through naturally um there's a uh when you do something wrong, like there's this innate feeling you get like you know it's wrong like when you when you take something that's not yours or you know when you do something you're not supposed to do I, I think everybody has this uh, this natural uh, awareness of that they're that they are doing something wrong um, morally okay Regardless of where they come from, but I, I, I believe that's the, the sin nature that we have, and I think it's a, everybody's not a believer, but I think there's an innate ability that people know God exists, but they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness.
0: Okay. So, and you're taking it from Paul's writing Romans mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Okay. So as far as like a moral reality. Mm-hmm. Like, even some non-theists believe in moral objectivity, you Mm -hmm. know, which, and some don't, some that I've talked to really deny that, say it's all subjective. But even some people who don't believe in in God believe there's, you know, a real moral, objective morals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for you, how does that um, um, relate to... You know the existence of God. How does, like, the moral reality? Oh,
1: how it, does that relate? Is to that the what you were of kind
0: of saying? Or, yeah, okay, yeah,
1: I think that's what I was saying. Um, I was also thinking of, uh, like, the. I I, I think uh, Thomas Aquinas, his his uh, five ways, um, if you're familiar with that. No, it's like I the the, the uh, proof of God from causality, the proof of God from uh, uh, naturality. I think that's what it's called. And then uh, there's like three other ones. But causality was like the one that stuck out to me. Because uh, it was like nothing happens. Or like an unmoved mover. You've heard that yeah. term. Like the unmoved mover. Um Even in creation, like, I think if you get that, if you get the unmoved mover and everything has a cause that has to happen outside of itself, I think uh, once you nail that down, the moral argument should trickle off from that because everything flows back up to the main creator. Okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. I don't know
0: if that does. Yeah. Yeah yeah so I think this is just kind of intuitive for a lot of people, mm-hmm. like they don't think through this in real detailed ways, yeah. but they just uh, they just you know it's just well there there must be a god look you know look around mm-hmm. us there's there's beauty there's design yeah. there's so um so it seems like either this sense that we have of God is there because there really is a God mm-hmm. or just the great bulk of human of humanity is wrong, you know? right? Really yeah. thrown off. You know? Yeah.
1: If if we're wrong, then uh, uh, Richard Dawkins is right with the the blind watchmaker. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think he's wrong. But. And then,
0: as far as the particulars of the Christian story, mm-hmm. is that. Um, more of a historical type of uh, thing for you, like is what is it, as far as confidence, or is it, or is there something else? Yeah, I, I,
1: I think it's, I think it's all of it. Okay, I mean the historical, the, the theological, the philosophical. Mm-hmm. I think uh, all the claims in Scripture answer itself and have been proven. In different ways, both historically archaeologically, if that's a word <laughs> uh, theologically and philosophically, I think uh, I have confidence in its and its truth through that and and also just by just through sheer wisdom. Uh, you know, given to us by the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, then you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that confirms these things, to you. And, uh, yeah, that's where
0: I stand. And how does the Holy Spirit confirm it? Like, just inwardly, just kind of giving yeah. us a sense of yeah, the sense reality
1: of, of it? Uh, of, of, of peace with what you believe and with... Uh, it's hard to explain. Just a just a confidence, I guess. Yeah.
0: Now, when you mentioned that you thought the scriptures were kind of self-attesting, mm-hmm. like what do you mean by that?
1: Um, just like the connection between the Old and New Testaments. Uh, you know, the New Testament affirms many things within the Old Testament, and when they're, you know, a thousand years apart, or was it seven hundred since uh, that was the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi.
0: Um, and that's then, the last one as far as the way they're ordered in, right, right.
1: in the order yeah. I guess Joe would be the oldest but uh, just the way they coincide with each other and it would take a massive amount of uh, planning to for somebody because you know you've heard the claim that like well it's just all of this is manufactured you know the the history of the Christian faith and you can't trust uh, a book that was been passed down and changed or rewritten and everything else you can't trust it but my view is, is like well why what reason would people willingly die for something that isn't true
0: Right. the people yeah. Like um, who there who would know if it was yeah, true or not? Yeah, like the apostles well, mainly. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean people that
1: Peter, you know, he's crucified upside down. <laughs> you know, Saint Stephen is the first martyr. Is just what at what length would they be willing to die for a lie? What what do they have to gain to just die for something that they are co-conspirators in manufacturing it's right. a religion that they're trying to push right. like it just you would have to be crazy
0: yeah, so that's kind yeah. of coming more from the historic you know kind of viewpoint of just saying how do you explain this historically yeah. if you know it, that's not necessarily saying everything happened exactly but it's saying something happened and mm-hmm. there has to be some explanation
1: yeah. um for it um that's what's interesting to me it's like that's what i i feel like people uh you know skeptics i think i which i don't really ever hear it be brought up between uh debates but it's like how can a skeptic you know just dismiss that i mean i guess i guess they could just if they wanted the easy out they could just say well they were just crazy they were brainwashed or whatever you know, but it's not no. the case. It's like every martyr <laughs> died absolutely 100% believing that it is true. Right. So.
0: And people, um, you know, a, a skeptic could bring up people who died today, you know, mm-hmm. um, believing, you know. And yet um, the difference is these were people who... Uh, we're not just believing what they were told. They were mm-hmm. there at the time, you know. Yeah. Um, so, um... Uh, but, okay. There's something else I was going to ask kind of concerning that. Um, well, anyway, uh, just kind of going on... Um, well, what, um, difference does it make, um, what difference does it make in your life now? Like, how is this, um, you know, um, you know, so, the, yeah, I guess, what does this mean to you at this
1: point? Um, the, just the, the faith in general. Yeah. The faith in general. Oh, I think it's, it's uh you know it's it's being part of something of the reason that I was, we were, we were even created for mm-hmm. you know i you know i do my best to do all things to the glory of god whether i'm working or whatever i do it's like i was created to worship We were were created to worship Him, and, you know, God does what He wants with this planet, and I have to be comfortable with that, and I have to be, I have to realize that I, that's what I'm here to do, is to glorify Him, and to live the way He wants me to live. Hey, um...
0: We're going back and forth. But I remember what I was yep. going to say. Um, you're speaking, you know, you mentioned the New Testament, how that's connected to, to the old and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I'm, and I'm coming from the viewpoint of a believer, but just to kind of push back on that, it, it, it's kind of frustrating to me in that the connection is not like what I would be comfortable with. For example, mm-hmm. like in the beginning of Matthew, when um, it's it said, this fulfills that scripture, and this fulfills that scripture, and this fulfills yeah. that scripture, and you go back and you look, and you, it's like, man, you uh, you could almost um, perhaps take like any kind of uh, a writing and then come up with a story and say, well, it fulfills that f- line or that line because. Um, it's not referring to a line that was like directly connected to that yeah, event. I get you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> and um, so um, so it's li- just a bit frustrating for me. Um, in that, well, maybe there's something to it. Maybe they're mm-hmm. having a different way of thinking about fulfillment and stuff like this. Um, and
1: the uh, I think that's I think that's one thing. You know, I've I know what you mean. Okay, um, but I think that's left up. To, if, if there's some things we just can't explain, you know, that's just the mystery of Christ and His covenants, the way it all works. You know, the mist, the, this idea of the mystery of Christ, is, uh, and the way salvation works, and your union with with Christ when you're a believer in Christ and His Church, and you know, the universal Church, Catholic little C, you know. Uh, that is like you can do the technical aspects of theology and trying to rationalize some things but then there's some things that I just I know I'll never understand and I just have to have faith at that point and and the things that I don't know and stand firm stand firm of the things that I do know and then the rest of the things that I don't know it's it's a mystery and I'm okay with that and how things connect I mean we'll find out in the end how it works? That, that's the, how it, um, I, That's kind of how I. I know that's probably lazy, but
0: the way the New Testament authors interpreted and thought about the Old Testament—that's a mystery to me. Yeah. Because, like, you know, that here Jesus, there's some event about Jesus's life, and this fulfills something. You go back, and it's well—that's Israel. You know, mm-hmm. well. They knew that, you know, they're not just trying to pull one over on us. I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, So somehow they saw a connection
1: there. Um, Anyway, so that's yeah, that's kind of. uh, And also, I think a lot of it, the way they understood it, is vastly different to us because they were. I think so. You have to try to look look at uh, the Old Testament through a you know second century lens or first century lens. Mm-hmm. and we don't have that as a we're, we're not you know as a first century Jew I have no frame of mind in which way they thought mm-hmm. like we're, compl- we're so detached from their world of thinking that it's it, I guess it is harder for us to understand some of that stuff mm-hmm.
0: okay back to today okay so <laughs> um. so you're mentioning glory you know living to glorify God mm-hmm. um so, um, I guess I've thought about that some too. And, and as far as like thinking, well, we're, if my life is meant to glorify God, mm-hmm. then it's probably going to be more of what he's doing in me and for me and through me sure. than what I'm doing for him. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, uh, an artist, it's his work that glorifies him. Mm-hmm. It's not so much what someone's doing for him that almost glorifies the doer you know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. so anyway so I'm um, so as far as from how that's lived out for me um, I'm not for sure except it seems like um, it would involve like a lot of just faith and resting in him mm-hmm. a lot of learning and growing um, as his workmanship um maybe less ambition on my part. Mm-hmm. Um and yet Paul was the Apostle Paul was a pretty ambitious person. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah filled with zeal and everything. So <laughs> anyway, any other thought any more thoughts about like uh just what the faith means to you, what what you mean by glorifying God, what that looks
1: like or well, or
0: just anything else related to
1: Yeah, just uh kind of like what you were saying you probably worded it better than I did but like through your own talents and through your through through faith and like just wanting to you, you know have, having this yearning for more sanctification and you know holiness and and uh, not that we'll ever achieve perfection of course you know where we're still in a sinful fallen world but to to really uh, focus our attention more on those things and and uh, like like through writing like I hope to one day you know publish something and people will maybe not explicitly Christian literature or anything like that but you know not as a not as a Christian that's a not as a Christian writer but like as a writer who happens to be Christian you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of just let my work show it for itself and write something using the talent that he gave me. You know, what's the, uh, that Martin Luther quote where it's like, uh, a Christian shoemaker doesn't make good shoes by putting little crosses on the shoes. He just, he glorifies God was just making good shoes. Right. You know, that kind of thing. It's right. Yeah, yeah, that registers with me. Yeah, it's like
0: um, work in and of itself is intrinsically good. Mm-hmm. It's blessing other people. Yeah, and um, absolutely, and it all belongs to God. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yep. Um, well, like in your life, as far as if you think of. Well, this is the challenge of my life. Like, this is the obstacle that's just particular to me, and uh, God's using it for good, or maybe I don't see the good yet, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what, um, what would you say is that for you? Um,
1: I would say it's probably in you know, what way can I really serve the church? Um, not just vocational you know not not vocation or anything like that but just like I was doing audio for a while for my church but then I kind of took a step back from that after I got married and I'm doing some youth ministry helping with the youth ministry but I'm trying to find where I really fit in and that may not be actually anything within my local church body but you know, just the church in general, the church, capital C. And I don't know. I feel like that could be something through writing, but I'm not sure yet. And that's, that's what I'm kind of been thinking about. Like, how can I, what, it, like, I know it doesn't have to be some big thing. Like, it could be very small, but what could I do for the church? You know? Hmm. Yeah, and with my local church body because I'm not even sure. <laughs> I haven't quite found something that I—that's my niche yet. But, I see. Yeah.
0: Is there anything that you do in involvement with the church that you just feel pretty satisfied when you're doing it, or?
1: Um, a little. Like it's. I work with uh me and another guy in the youth ministry. We 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 have our. Wednesday night youth and the our youth pastor you know he'll do a sermon for the kids and it's middle school and high school so after after that we split off into small groups and me and another guy have uh, uh, the middle school boys which is a very interesting age (laughs) and I remember being in middle school and I'm like some of these kids I'm like did I really act like that when I was (laughs) in 8th grade but uh, so but it's been fun because you know they're they're in that transition stage from, to almost a teenager, or some of them are teenagers. And it's like, I remember being that way and, you know, asking questions, or not really asking questions, I wasn't. But it's just, it is fun to see them interact and kind of ask those questions about Scripture and the Bible that I never did when I was their age, because they're just they're, they're brought up in a different framework than what I was brought up in. So, it's encouraging to see, and it's it's just fun to interact with them, and you know, if
0: if there was anything you could change about the ch- way the church functions, what would
1: that be? If there's anything like just the way the church does church, yeah. Uh, well, especially in in evangelicalism, I think the downplay of This this might just be a a nitpicky rant, but I think in evangelicalism, not all of them, but a lot of like the mainstream ones, I think they focus too much on on the worship aspect and having you know all the the lights and and stuff, and and it's less. Uh, I don't want to say that they're not. That they're not reverent, that it can come off as a little irreverent. And I think the downplay of the sacraments or ordinances, if you prefer, you know, baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, I think that those two things, which the church has done for 2,000 years, in, in evangelicalism, I can think they can be downplayed a little bit to just be something that they, it's sort of an afterthought. But I think that it's an important part of the church, and it's very specific to the church. And taking communion and remembering, or whatever your view on communion is, but just remembering, that it's feeding on Christ together, uh, not in a Roman Catholic transubstantiation way, but spiritually feeding on Christ, taking communion together, remembering is... Death on the cross, and uh, that—that's his body and his blood, and just that remembering and reverence of it is—I. That's probably the only, even though they're really wrong. That's the only thing that I think the the Roman Catholics still have, in a sense, even though they're really wrong on communion and it's, you know, I think the mass is blasphemous, but. I think evangelicalism, at least in non-denominational, I'm, well, now Presbyterians, I think Rockport does a great job of the way we take communion. I took communion once at Rockport. I thought it was awesome. But I don't know. I, I think it's, it's some of those things tied to church history that I feel like modern evangelicalism focuses too much on the external, wanting to please our senses, Rather than, you know, being reverent, being trying to be connected to the historic church, and you know, I've talked with many of people in those kinds of churches, and you bring up anybody like anybody in church history, and they're just like, "Who's that?" You know, they they have no connection to our lineage of Christianity. No mm-hmm. Like, there's just no connection whatsoever. And there's no interest, which is kind of sad to me, but, you know, because you're talking about 2,000 years' worth of people who've died and lived and just a, kind of paved the path for where you're at now in the church, and you have, you have no respect, you have no thought about your Christian ancestry, so to speak, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I... After discovering all that myself, I'm like, why have I never paid attention to this kind of stuff before? Mm-hmm. Like, all the way back to Christ and the apostles. All, you know, all through history, across continents. You're you're coming to, you know, you get to somebody in a evangelical church that's like, you know, all they care about is the feeling of the music and in modern contemporary music or you know i don't know i don't know if that makes any sense or if i'm just ranting but
0: (laughs) you know um what i've come to think and i'm not an expert on this and could be wrong but if a person had a real was really grounded in church history especially Mm -hmm. like early apostolic fathers and stuff like yeah um their view of um, communion, the Lord's Supper, might look a little bit more like Lutherans or maybe even Catholics yeah. than us, um, and their their view of it might be like Ignatius. If you and I haven't read him, like it, I've just read quotes from him and yeah. stuff, but Same. he says things about like it being the elixir of life, and I mean things yep. along the lines of like.
1: This wasn't just a memorial type of thing for him. That's where I would disagree with uh, Zwingli. Zwingli was a strict memorialist, and and I I was more in line with Calvin's more of a spiritual presence. Huh? Okay. He he didn't believe, of course, and it was actually the body and blood, but it was the body and blood in the sense that it was spiritual.
0: Now Lutherans, um, they don't believe in transubstantiation. Constant. Okay, Con- uh,
1: I can't say it Constantiation right, yeah,
0: so um that's probably that's different than Calvin, too, right, yeah, a little bit, uh
1: okay. not really that much, okay, I don't think I, I there might be some some differences. the way Luther described it from what I read was also confusing because <laughs> okay. he was right. like, Because he says uh Christ is with, in, and underneath the elements, I'm like, what does that mean, Martin, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think he, of course, I think he was coming at it from a. Well, we don't really know. It's just a mystery, you know. He's, you know, this is this is Christ's body and blood, right? That's it. If I'm just going straight
0: from the New Testament, I mean, uh, which is our authority, even though I think we should really consider church history and so forth. But um, it just seems from the New Testament, it's um, memorial in the sense that, um, do this in remembrance of me. sure. Um, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't, that I don't, that doesn't mean it has to lighten it. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, like I've looked into the the Lutheran church, I have a friend who's Lutheran, I've gone to the church and I was wanting to participate with communion and I read in their, um, their bullets and their description of it. And, I, and they only want people to participate, of course, who believe along the ways they believe. Yeah, yeah. And I just couldn't do it because I just thought, um, I don't believe I'm actually taking the body and blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they don't mean it in the Catholic Roman Catholic way, Right. they still yeah. mean it in some way more than I do, I think. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I I found Calvin's view to be satisfying, and Hmm. that is, Christ, Christ is spiritually present in the elements. Okay, which was like, which was I thought was interesting, and you know we feed on Christ and rest in Him through that. And I, I, I'm going with that view. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, because it's more. It seems more than just Zwingli's memorial. You know, there's nothing special about... Not that there's nothing special, but it's like, you're just doing this in remembrance. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think there's more to it. You know, um, here's
0: something I've been bringing up lately to people I've been talking with. I I listened to... I mean, I read a book called Reimagining Christianity a while back. Mm-hmm. And i it's basically a book on the house church movement. Mm-hmm. And um, from it, I started thinking about how we... Um, you know, gravitate toward people who think along the same lines as we do, yeah. and it's not necessarily we're saying um, these other people are not true brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some people are, but I think a lot of people, including me, are not saying that these people in the other churches that they're—it's just that we disagree with them. Yeah, and um, and Paul, he uh, in Romans, you know, he talks about accommodating. Your brothers and sisters who um, uh, who are living according to their conscience unto God mm-hmm. but they differ from you yeah and like uh, it seems like and this might be pretty idealistic but like it would be we group ourselves in such a way that there's no room for us to exercise that yeah like and it would be more I it would be more um, ideal I think, if I was meeting with the people who live right around real locally, my local neighborhood, who mm-hmm. I could live close to, live with, share life with, and they believe like um, in baptizing babies, and I don't, and they have their reasons, yeah, and I have my reasons for my belief, and it's not that we're just, either of us are just doing things just to do it, we have our reasons, and right. we're just not convinced of the other's argument and so forth, yeah. and if they're could be a way if you know to um, meet with these people and somehow enjoy Christian fellowship with them mm-hmm. worship the Lord with them serve the Lord with them I mean love one another just you know in my own neighborhood um, really where it'd be easy to love them and be spend time with them yeah and um, and just know that we're different and let those differences challenge us yeah. and um, and challenge them, and um, and show the world that we love one another, and it's that Jesus unites us,
1: not the agreement on our uh, doctrinal positions. And right, stuff. right, exactly. I mean, all, of, you know, all of my almost all of my favorite theologians are are baptists <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, I've got, I've got friends that go to Covenant uh, Seminary, you know, Presbyterians. I've I've been to Presbyterian churches. Uh, I got Anglican friends. Uh, you know, there's differences, but some of those differences are minor compared to what really unites us, which is the gospel. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's almost like a, I'm all for a Protestant ecumenicism, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which I think. Probably needs to happen more often than just uh, being so hardline with some things. You know, I've gotten out of the the cage stage Calvinist stages where you're just like, if you're not reformed, then you don't believe the gospel. Well, it's not really the case.
0: I kind of remember that. Um, I remember um, when I was new at Rockport. And I would see somebody who I knew from years past. Mm -hmm. And um, my main aim was to try to find out if they believed along the same way as the doctrines of grace. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to ask them directly, because that would be too, I don't know, I'd feel bad about that (laughs) or something. Are you
1: a five-pointer? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Just come right out and say it.
0: But I would be trying to discover and try to figure out where they (laughs) they were, because it was so important to me. Yeah. But, um...
1: Yeah. Yeah, as long as they're not like like the most like do you affirm the apostles creed? Are you a trinitarian? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. That's those are those basic basic, things. you know, basic things Yeah. Okay. Um what well, would be nice
0: to be able to put that into practice in some way. One mm-hmm. way that I've been trying, this has been going on for about a year and a half is um I think this started out as central presbyterian and my um brother was involved in it for a few years. It's like these little groups of four and they go through um, a book called Discipleship Essentials Mm -hmm. and then after, it takes about two years to get through it, and then after they do, they break up and each person finds three other people and the group multiplies. So it goes from a group of four to a group of, well one group to four groups and then boom, you know, Mm -hmm. 16 groups or whatever. And um, so in my group, I have a a Lutheran guy, and it's, he lives right across the street from me. Mm-hmm. I have a Roman Catholic fellow. I met him at the gym. He drives in. He lives in South County. Mm-hmm. And um, there was another guy, and he was kind of like the non non-denomin uh, non-Christian of the group. Oh, I mean, he. Um, I asked him. I said, "This is about being a disciple of Jesus." He said, "Yeah, I'm all for that. I'm I'm not anything. I'm just spiritual, but I'm not anything in particular. No, yeah. You know." And uh but anyway he didn't stay with us too long. But um it seems like that's like if we can't meet together in churches at this point, if maybe some other ways like that we can kind of like start enjoying fellowship with um mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for particularly I wasn't looking particularly for people outside of my circles, but yeah. Um just people it just happen to be that, be that way, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, um,
0: any particular Anything? routines in your life that are really
1: meaningful to you? Routines? Yeah, just daily or weekly stuff. Um, I I started going to the gym recently. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. How's that with COVID and everything? To work. Oh, it's okay? open. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the employees wear masks, but nobody else has to. And they, you know, the treadmills are distance, yeah. So it's like every other treadmill is open.
0: It doesn't have a dry sauna in it, does it? A what? A, a sauna? The dry sauna in your gym? No. Okay. No, no, I don't think so. All right. Yeah. That's the main thing I enjoy about gyms. Yeah. Sometimes they might they actually.
1: I don't know. What's the it name of be, it? might uh, be it's club fitness. Club fitness. Yeah. Okay. They might have one. I'm not sure. I haven't looked around there that much. Okay. They do have one... They have the showers blocked off. Okay. So you can't shower. All so, right. Then if... um yeah. Then they... If they had a sun it would be blocked off it too, probably, I think. It probably would be in there. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I started trying to go to the gym at least three or four times a week. Um, yeah. And I realized quickly how out of shape I was. <laughs> I went with my brother um, the first couple times, and uh, he's he's in the national guard he's really fit and all that stuff he's he's just he's three or four years younger than me but uh he had me uh he had me do deadlifts for the first time in maybe 10 to 12 years for me yeah (laughs) it was brutal but it feels good i'm i'm just you know i started going because i'm like i'm 31 i'm still kind of young if yeah. I don't get in shape now, it'll be harder later. So,
0: Yeah, I don't do deadlifts anymore. Um, I messed up my back, and um, I don't do back mm-hmm. squats or deadlifts. I'll do goblet squats or front squats, mm-hmm. and I do pull-ups and push-ups, and yeah. I walk. <laughs>
1: I've, been, I've been trying to do a lot of treadmill work, just more yeah. cardio. I need more cardio. Yeah. For sure. Um, are you familiar
0: with Tabata or T-A-B-A-T-H-A? I don't know. It's um it's a type of high interval intensive training okay. and it's like on a cycle of 20 seconds hard 10 seconds easy 20 seconds hard oh, 10 okay and yeah. um so i so i used to do this a lot it's refreshing um i mean it's intense when you're doing it mm-hmm. but there's a long hill in our neighborhood and i started at the bottom and i have a timer on my watch and it's like sprinting hard up the hill for 20 seconds walking for 10, eight cycles. Yeah. By the time I get up to the very top, it's like everything is flowing. My chest is heaving. The blood is flowing. It's just, yep. but it's it's short and it's not something that uh, wears me out for the rest of the day like uh, a long run would or oh, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And um, and it's kind of a, a self competition type of thing because I'm starting at the same place. I know I'm doing eight cycles. So, like the further I get or the further I end each time, you know mm-hmm. on that upper street, um it means I'm running faster, yeah <laughs> you know? yeah, so that's kind of fun
1: yeah yeah i I try to do at least a mile, um whether that's jogging or sprinting on the treadmill, mostly, I just end up jogging, but then recently uh I started. Because they have the uh, ones that have the elevation. Yeah. Right. So I started just basically hiking. <laughs> yeah. Hiking those, just turning the elevation up high and right, working my way. Do, do about a mile.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
1: It's good. It feels good. It feels good. It's it does. The main thing, it?
0: Um, there's a health benefit, but also it's just a, a mood set or somewhat. Just to kind of feel yeah. like you've been doing something hard. Just feel a little...
1: Tight, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I can, you know, I it's, it's my time to put my headphones in and yeah, listen to a podcast or some music and just kind of after sitting all day doing it stuff, it's right, it's nice. Yeah, but.
0: well, um, Adam, is there anything you'd like to bring up before we just wrap up? No, I don't think so. Okay, it's been fun. It's been fun like talking it. with you too. Yeah. Do you want to mention your blog before we, uh, we get off? Or
1: uh, Yeah, it's uh, reformlabs at wordpass.com. Okay. Sounds awesome. good. All right. Thanks, Adam. All right. Thank you. If you use a podcast app
0: like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life.